0: And now it's time for the podcast, Sustainable Dad. Welcome to Sustainable Dad. Today we've got an absolute treat. Joining us on the phone is Senior Australian of the Year for New South Wales. She has worked as an environmental educator and set up Green. Her name, Sue Lennox. Top of the morning to you, Sue.
1: Hi, Duncan.
0: It's very good to talk to you. Can we start with this, which I thought was absolutely stunning. You sold your family home to set up Ausgreen.
1: Yes. I mean, look, it was, it wasn't an easy decision, obviously, but the whole um, reasoning for us doing that is that we realized we had to do something that absolutely minimized our need for income for a period of time. And the sensible thing was to move in with Cole's mum. So we, didn't have to be paying off mortgages and things. And, uh, you know, as it was, it worked out really well. It was actually really lovely to look after her for the last few years of her life as well.
0: Incredible. And now you set up this organisation called Ausgreen. And what's his, the heartbeat? What's what's your philosophy and hope to accomplish with Ausgreen?
1: I love your question. Um, look, peace on earth, that's the starting point. But, you know, what's peace? Peace is that we are all living in a way that is there, that we're conscious of the impact of every action on current generations on future generations and also on the amazing environment and ecosystems that we are all part of
0: now I, I i think find this fascinating your work starts in freshwater it takes you all the way to the ganges of india some of the most significant rivers on earth obviously in india as you've journeyed around with Oz Green. what is the one thing that seems to be crying out to you in terms of climate change around our environment that we immediately have to address?
1: Oh, goodness. Look, um, I was thinking about that again this morning, and, and the thing that came to me is this, that actually the vast majority of people in the world live in harmony with the Earth. The vast majority of people in the world have an ecological footprint that's less than one planet. It's countries like Australia, where we have the equivalent of five planets. If everyone lived like us, we would need five planets. And it's that that's got to change. And and look, Australia has a huge opportunity to be leaders in this space. And we're currently, like the world's worst practically, we've got, um, if you look at the Global Sustainability Index, we're 163rd out of 166 countries. Like, you know, it doesn't get much worse than that, really, does it?
0: No, absolutely. Listen, I th- I think you're right. I think the challenge is, is when you say lower my global footprint, I don't really know where to start. And that's the thing that concerns me is because, you know, like I, I watch Greta Thunberg when – Uh, time person of the year, she's addressing all these climate change conferences all over the earth and then you say, man, we're almost dead last in terms of our ecological footprint. Where do I start? What do I do?
1: So, look, first step is to measure your ecological footprint and um, we're racing around today to get, we've got one that we got from new scientists and, you know, it's quite simple to fill out. We'll get that up on our website today so that people can download it and measure it. Um, And that's the starting point because once you know what your eco footprint is, you'll be able to see the areas of your life where you are scoring big. And I'm going to actually put a challenge out to everyone because, you know, the situation has got so severe this year. Everyone gets that. These fires are like a major wake-up call to us all. And we don't have time anymore for this little story that says, oh, if you just do a little bit, that, that's important. That's all that matters. I completely dismiss that now. And I say, we've got to get our act together. We've got to get it together very quickly. And, you know, I set the challenge. Can you get your eco footprint to one planet in six months?
0: I like that challenge. So step one. Go and assess your ecological footprint. And the good news is is that online there's a whole bunch of different places you can do that. Obviously, New Scientist is yeah. one of those. Once Yeah, and ad- I'll
1: put it on the OzGreen website um, today too. It should go up very shortly.
0: And that website is? Um, so OzGreen.org.
1: org, And it should be org slash footprint. Okay,
0: fantastic. Once we've assessed that, then, then we can actually, now we've got a path. Now we've got a direction, and for I'm guessing every person it changes depending on who you are and what you're doing. You you might actually have some some major deficiencies that you need to address, and that might be different to my major deficiencies, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And and look, you know, just looking at what your footprint is, you'll get the bits that you score high on, and they're clearly the things you know that you can change. You know, one of the ones that um, comes up often for Australians is international travel. And I, and I qualify that with international travel that's just used for leisure purposes. You know, it's time to start holidaying at home and, and, you know, preferably getting out to communities that have been impacted by these fires. So you're providing support for, you know, all these rural communities as well.
0: This is one of the things that kind of came out in season one of the podcast is that um, to reduce your footprint, what you need to do is sacrifice. And so if you have to travel for the sake of work, is it possible for you to go to one car instead of two? Because the reality is we just can't have it all. You know, In, in the same respect, I, I think I, I was really convicted early on, maybe I need to be more plant-based in my eating. You know, like mm-hmm. what yep. if what if I went from eating meat every day to once a week? And I, yeah, I was—can re- I tell
1: you a story about that? Yeah,
0: absolutely, go for it.
1: Um, you know, a few years ago, there was a, a wonderful young woman who came off a dairy farm, and when she measured her eco footprint, she was horrified, and um, and she said, "Look, my family eats meat with every meal—that's 21 meat meals a week," and so she set herself a target that three times a week she would offer to her mum to cook dinner and make it a wholesome vegetarian meal. And so her mum agreed to that and they started out and within six months they had transformed their eating to they ate meat three times a week out of their twenty one meal.
0: It's extraordinary. Yeah. And I, I think I think that for me was a real wake-up call. Like, it's just, I just can't, I just don't have permission. Sorry, I should rephrase that. I just don't have permission to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. I need to be aware that every one of those decisions has a consequence as a result of that. And if I'm forever just climbing on planes with my family for leisure trips around the world, there's actually a significant carbon footprint I'm leaving, leaving behind, but... If I make sacrifices in other areas, then I may be able to take one of those trips a year, but it's going to cost something else.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, yes, I'll, I'll question that. And I'll tell you the other one is, is business-wise, and yeah. it's really important to do this. Um, and you know, one of the early businesses that we worked with was Dimension Data, and they set themselves a 20, uh, 25% target to reduce their travel footprint within six months. Yeah. and they achieved a 75% cut because they just went into doing all these meetings, you know, like, oh, I need to go down to Melbourne to have a meeting, with blah, blah, blah. It's like they just started doing it online and created really good online meeting systems that enabled them to do that. And look, we do that with our facilitated trainings, for example, for Youth Reading the World. You know, we've had out of the 1,100 people that we've trained globally, probably 400 have done that online and gone on to deliver an outstanding program in their region.
0: Incredible. Let's, let's talk a bit, little bit about that because you've got this incredible facilitated training program and you actually work specifically with younger folks, you know. Um, why is it that you kind oh, of – like in-
1: sorry. So just let me add in, the age range of our facilitators is 14 to 17.
0: Oh really? Sorry, I always yeah, so thought that they, you were you specify you, you were specifically working with kind of youth people, but you, you it's fourteen to seventy.
1: Yeah, they're they're our facilitators, and that that so we don't actually um you know have a you have to be a certain age. The participants in youth leading the world are age probably at this age ten to twenty five, but we've had some amazing eight-year-olds involved recently who have forced me to completely reset my expectations.
0: Can I ask, what does an eight-year-old bring to the table in this conversation?
1: Oh, my God. So, look, I was really nervous about them being involved. Yeah. Because we don't pull our punches. Like, you know, it's full on what's going on in the world and that's our starting point is we need to be informed. So i talked with their parents and they were like, yeah, we're there, and actually one of the parents came along with us And they just took it, and the thing that came out that was their biggest concern was lack of leadership, lack of political leadership in Australia. And so their vision was that, you know, they live in a country that has great political leadership and we're leading the world on climate change. And they invented this character they call Prime Minister Pancake. Now, Prime Minister Pancake is a young Indigenous woman who is totally committed... To seeing Australia lead the world on taxing climate change. And they're now in the process of making a series of videos about what she's doing.
0: Incredible. Unbelievable. That's it's fantastic.
1: Great, and it reset. Like, you know, I kind of went when they first said Prime Minister Pancake, I went, yeah, right. Like, you know, what's this was like you know, get, get out of my own way and stop judging. There's actually the brilliance in this idea. And as they've worked on it, that's
0: certainly been, you know, the story that captures people. As you kind of do these facilitated trainings and you you you, you work around the world, I feel I feel like um, sometimes the rhetoric descends into what is it you are going to do to change this? And that finger waving goes on at the government. Yes. Right. Let us let's, let's just talk for a second. If if a government was to then go, okay this is what we're going to do. What are like the action items that you would like to see them immediately put into place?
1: Um, well, start with we've got to leave um, fossil fuels in the ground. Uh, the so RCCC, no more coal? No more coal, no more oil, no more gas. We've got to transition away from those as sources for energy as soon as we possibly can. And look, all the technology is there. You do not need to go through gas. What, what do you do with that, the thousands
0: of people who are now unemployed?
1: Exactly. And, it, you know, I've done a lot of work in the Hunter Valley. Yep. And it's about understanding that you've got to recreate those societies. And, you know, like Germany's transitioned completely away from coal. Brilliant. And they've done it in a really responsible way where they've looked after the communities that depend on coal and they've created, you know, new economic opportunities around renewable energy. And there's way more jobs in the renewable sector than there will ever be in the fossil
0: fuel sector. Phenomenal. Okay, so Australia comes in and says, okay, we're going to work with Newcastle. We're now no longer mining coal. We're going to leave it in the ground.
1: We're
0: going to leave it in the ground. We're not doing gas anymore. We're flipping the switch on this. And we're now retraining you all so you can be a renewable energy community and, in fact, you're going to be a global leader in renewable energies now. Yep, that's and right. You equip them. Now technology is moving into town because they're excited about it as well. We've mm-hmm. flipped the switch on fl- fossil fuels now. What else do we need to flip the switch on?
1: Well, we need to like get really good public transport systems in place so that we're not driving around in cars. You know, that's got to be a big change So we've got to change the way we get from place to place Um, and we need to localise our food production as much as we possibly can and there are incredible stories of um, you know cities and and towns that have created remarkable food growing systems you know in public places you know and alongside roads and in people's backyards so all of that you know it's like the stories are out there you know it's not rocket science
0: Sue, but I might want cherries all year round. Are you saying that I'm not allowed to have them anymore?
1: That's exactly right. you know I mean, I've got an orchard here and I basically have a succession of fresh fruit that goes all year round, um, and I eat the fruit that's in season, and that that's about living in harmony with the earth.
0: I think that that one for me was really significant. I remember talking to another one, uh, another scientist from the CSIRO, and they said, actually, it's really simple. When you go to the fruit store, the stuff that's in season is really cheap, and that's what you need mm. to be eating. Mm. The the stuff that's like fifteen bucks a kilo and says from California on it is the stuff out of season. Just stop eating it. If there's yeah. no if there's no demand for it, they'll stop stocking it.
1: Yes, yeah. and look, there's another part of this too because. You know, things like the importing of, um, you know, cheap citrus from overseas, you know, say, from South America, has, has caused a devastating impact on Australia's own fruit growing industry. Mm-hmm. And so there's multiple reasons, you know, that we need to be looking at how we localise our food production.
0: There's something exciting too, I think, about moving towards like a seasonal diet. You know, like, hey, this stuff's in season, we're eating like this now and then later it'll transition into something else. Like, I think my kids only like specific types of food and when you have a seasonal diet, it's like, well, I'm sorry, it's not in season, so we have to shift to something else.
1: It's been really interesting, um, you know, because I grow a lot of my own food in my backyard and, and I'm kind of not a very good veggie gardener, so things have to be pretty tough to survive in my yard. But I've got a range of things that are perpetual and that grow really well, and I eat what's in my garden, and that's a complete shift. So it's not a, oh, what will I eat today? It's like well, what have I got, and that's what I'll have today.
0: Incredible. So, so now we've 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 moved from fossil fuels. They're now in the ground. We've now got renewable energy as our major source of power. We've rolled out public transport and made that available to everyone. So car car usage is reduced. We're eating local. I mean, that's already, I feel like, a much better place for us to be, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. And look, there's a whole lot of stuff around, you know, strengthening local community that's really important. And, um, you know, it's not something that we'll do in isolation. It is really about us all coming together. But I completely get, like, we can't wait for our so-called leaders on this. We've got to get in there and do it ourselves. And it's why you know, I just feel the work that we're doing at Ausgreen is so important. And there's a real opportunity at this point in time for us to get in and work with the um, young people and communities that have been so badly impacted by bushfires because we know that... Like, I've got 30 years of confidence that our processes work. Mm. and i know that i can help people face up to this despair and enable them to shift become passionate and committed change makers in their own lives in their own communities and right now i just see you know imagine all these incredible change leaders coming out of the terror that they've experienced um and we've all experienced through these bushfires you know they get it more than anyone just how urgent the situation is
0: because one of the things I, I feel like, and I don't, I, I might be way off base with this, Sue, and you'll, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I want to plant more trees. Like I, I kind of, at the end of all this bushfire season, I kind of go, I feel like we, we need more forest, not less forest.
1: Oh, completely. And look, you, <laughs> you're right on it there. That, you know, there's two things. One is we've absolutely got to protect what we've got left. I mean, our forests have just been decimated on the East Coast in particular. So what we've got left is like, you know, it's it's gold and we have to look after every single tree and, you know, our beautiful koalas. And, um, you know, like in my community, there's a big campaign going on to establish the Great Koala National Park. And the interesting thing about that project and that initiative is that that in itself will generate tourism jobs and bring people out to rural areas. So, you know, you're closing the loop on that holiday cycle as well. Um, And and look, you know, we've lost so much. We've really got to get cracking on the tree planting campaign. Absolutely.
0: Incredible. What about just simple stuff around the house that my family and I can be doing?
1: Look, there's lots of waste reduction stuff, and I've actually got a checklist that I'll also, um, you know, maybe I can send it to you, or I'll put it on the Osgreen website as well. Um, you know, practical things like, you know, look at your waste. It's actually worthwhile getting your bin and emptying it and going, like, what are, where's it all coming from, and how do I cut this down? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you're doing things like, we in Bellington, we're very fortunate we've got a, a great whole food store, and I just take all my own containers, and I buy stuff in those containers and I bring them home, you know, right up to, you know, fronting up with, you know, a, a couple of containers to fill up with, with um, you know, things that I need to feed my animals, for example. Mm.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's some of the stuff that we've in at home was like, how do we get down to one bag that we're throwing in the red bin every week, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And what that means is that there's probably an extra 10 minutes in the day, or 10 minutes in the week of sorting stuff. And, you know, we, we've got a larger backyard, so we had the ability to add in chickens and a worm farm, which, you know, Ooh, takes care of nice. lots of the scraps. Plus the dog yeah. gets a, a little bit of a good meal here and there, um, but one of the things that has frustrated me is kind of food wastage is I, I still feel like I'm yes. over-preparing on meals and I'm, I'm ending mm. up getting to the end of the week and throwing out good food because mm. it's now gone off.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And so yeah, I think... Look, no, go for it. No, oh
1: no, I'm just completely agreeing with you. And, and you're like I don't have that, but I know it's a really significant volume of food waste that we, we generate. And look, there are...
0: Globally, it's 33%.
1: Yeah, and that's insane, you know, like we've we've got starvation as a global challenge and and that much wasted. So, yes, you know, and that comes down to the careful meal planning and it's it's interesting, I was talking to um, the people in the uh, International Hotel Group, IHG, this last week and they've been going through a process of looking at their food waste and then going, okay, we need to cut servings down. You know and so mm. it, it's literally that kind of of analysis of going if you're not eating everything on the plate then you're putting too much on it, and if you're not using all the food then you're buying too much. And it's interesting because um, you know eating out of the veggie garden is a different, is a whole different way of thinking around that, um, and probably you know it's the sort of thing will push us in more into shopping locally and buying, you know, rather than buying a week's food or whatever, you know, we're
0: buying smaller quantities. Well, I'm kind of eyeing off that at my house. I've been talking with my wife about whether or not we get beehives at home because I was yeah. like, oh, we've got all these great native Australians trees now in the garden and we've put in a yeah. water source for just local Australian fauna. Mm. And I'm like, well, maybe we can le- leverage the flora by encouraging some bees, and we get some honey, which is you know good for a whole bunch of different reasons. But yeah, yeah, you know, like because I, I feel like I can at least set up a miniature habitat that's good for natives in my own backyard.
1: Mm, completely, and and look, we really need to be doing that because our bees are you know in big trouble, and if we don't take action. You know, we're, like, a third of our food camp is relying on bees to pollinate. So that's another really important thing you can do is around getting beehives in the backyard and getting bird habitat in the backyard and putting water out to wildlife. You know, all of those things are, um, are really important.
0: Well, and I think the, the misnomer is every bee stings, is most of the Australian natives have are stingless, you know, mm. and, and a lot of local councils are actually encouraging and have programs to help put native bees in your backyard. Yeah. And they'll help set it up for you.
1: Well, that makes it easy, doesn't it? It's yeah. I mean, because I, I'm very lucky, I live on the edge of a forest, and so, you know, I have lots of um, natives and my son um, loves beekeeping and so he kind of supplies me with honey but you know my veggie garden prospers because I've got a very healthy bee population and we don't use any chemicals, we don't use any pesticides here um, and so you know that's a really important thing because you know that's one of the things that's a big um, damager of um, the bee population
0: There is nothing better than picking off the bugs and throwing them at the chickens Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's where I end up flicking them all, like, here's some food for you.
1: <laughs> yeah. But how cool is it, though? I mean, I, you can probably hear my rooster crawl, you know, crowing in the background. Yeah. I just love my relationship with my chooks. They're like, you know, they're buddies. We have chats with each other and, you know, I actually don't have a compost system because what I do is I give them it all. They dig it into the soil. They... Fertilise
0: it, and then I just come along, and I've got this most incredible earth that I use on my veggie garden. Yeah,
1: that's phenomenal. Yeah, it's one and of the. All the work
0: for me. I just feel you feel a little bit more relaxed when you get a chance to go out there. I mean, obviously, not not everyone has the ability to do that, but we're starting to see community gardens pop up more and more. And it's the same kind of opportunity. You jump in with a local community garden. You can get your hands dirty in the soil and learn a bit, a little bit about you know the food, how long it takes to grow, and what seasons it grows in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's real psychological benefits to that. Um, you know, the, the science is that the you know the actual contact with the soil makes us feel good. Oh, look it's at Costa food. on we Gardening Australia. Farm-wise right? Yeah, yeah.
0: He's the happiest guy on earth. I don't think he's ever yeah. had stress in his life.
1: But the other thing that I'll just make a, a comment on, and that's my sort of personal observation, is, you know, I lost my husband three years ago. And one of the great places of solace for me is to get out in the garden. Mm. And, and you know, you just can't underestimate the importance of that. You know, if you're in pain, it's a really good place to, to you know, be still and to connect with the earth and, and find peace.
0: That's good. That's really good. I like that advice, Sue. Well, um, listen, I think you've given us a lot to think about and I certainly do want to recommend uh, to people to get along to Ausgreen and uh, check out their footprint, assess that, and also get their hands on the handy hints that you've got on the website there.
1: Yeah, yeah. We'll get them up as well and I'll keep adding them to them. And look, you know, let's put out a challenge. Yeah, Yep. Um, I reckon... You know, who wants to sign up for wiping, let's say, 50% off their footprint in the next six months. Let's set that as our target and see what kind of a response we get for people going, yep, yeah, I'm up for that. And let's see um, how many planet, how many hectares of land we can save.
0: I love um, that. 50% less in six months. Let's do it.
1: Sounds great. Awesome. Right. Look forward to checking in soon.
0: Thanks, Sue. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us.
1: All right. Love your work.
0: You know, the funny thing about all this is when we first recorded that podcast, um, COVID crisis hadn't set in. But here we are, and I can guarantee you that you've probably lowered your carbon footprint by 50%. And it wasn't that hard. I mean, sure, yeah, government had to enforce it and life has changed dramatically And we're not going to stay there, but it does give you an opportunity to reflect on what are the things that are in place right now that you want to maintain and continue to do so that you can stay more sustainable. And I'm assuming you're listening to this and you'll go and do the footprint test and all those things, but they're probably pretty obviously around you. How often have you been using the car? Do you need to use it that much? Anyway, that's sustainable. Dad, next week will be the final one. In all of this, again, I want to encourage you, think about where your stuff comes from, reuse, recycle, repurpose, and live a sustainable life. All right, I'll see you later. This is Sustainable Dad.